I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, The Lord be exalted, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. This is the word of the Lord. great if you could have uh, Psalm 40 in front of you and we're going to pray together. We ask you once again, Heavenly Father, that you might open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things in this, your living word, the Bible. And having opened our eyes, please would you soften our hearts. Please would you motivate our wills that we might live in humble obedience to all that we read. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the books that's been written about the Psalms that I like to go to time and time again is a book called Songs of Experience. Songs of Experience. You see, the Psalms is a book of songs and hymns sung by the people of God over the ages, yet they're songs that emerge out of real experiences. Think of someone like Adele. Have you heard of Adele? Most of you have heard of Adele. You'll know if 
you know anything about Adele, that her, her albums are, uh, the titles are just the age at which she wrote those albums. And the songs reflect what was going on in her life at the moment she wrote those songs. It's slightly embarrassing almost to listen in because, and certainly in the earlier ones, the sort of amount of relationship breakdown and heartache and pain, uh, which clearly was in her experience that then came out through songs, was almost quite hard to listen to. But stunning, and I think the reason why her songs grab people is because these are not just made up, these come as songs of real experience. It's exactly the same in the Psalms. Sometimes we can locate the historic incident that led to a particular psalm being written. But at other times you can't, and in the psalm we're looking at today, we don't know what the particular situation is. But one of the strong themes that run through many of the psalms is the experience of finding oneself stuck in a hole. Not literally, but metaphorically. Stuck in a mess that you can't seem to escape from. Psalm 40 is one of the best statements, I think, of that experience. It presents a pattern of life which most Christian people know something about firsthand. I'm going to focus actually just on the first three verses. The rest of the psalm will provide a kind of context. John Piper, who uh, uh, I looked at as I was preparing this, helpfully spots in these verses that David leads us, the King David, that is, leads us through six stages of his experience. And I want to just follow that pattern through quite closely. And maybe we'll see something of our own experience in what he goes through. So firstly, we find David in a hole. Our king is in the pits, verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Sometimes, don't we, we speak of being in the pits of despair. That's what David is speaking about here, the pits of despair. And how does it feel for him? Well, when you look at this word that's translated here, slimy pit, uh, you find in different translations all sorts of words that go in. Some, uh, you get words that relate to destruction, of something being horrible, of something being desolate. In other places, the word refers to roaring of a tumult, like the crashing stormy waves. Of course, the image uh, that's usually there is the meaning of a pit, is this cistern or a cistern or a well. And so when you put all of that together, the image becomes quite striking, doesn't it? It's as if David has fallen into a deep, dark well, plunged not into a placid, clean pool, but into a raging storm, made worse by being dark and underground, a sense of feeling no way out, I cannot see the way out, I feel trapped. And as if to make it worse, we get this image of miry clay, the mud and mire. The image it conveys is helped, perhaps, when we consider someone who was physically put into a well. David here wasn't, but we know someone who was, someone called Jeremiah. Do you remember the prophets? Put in a well by King Zedekiah. And in Jeremiah 38.6 we read, So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the system of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guards, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the system, but only mire. And Jeremy, Jeremiah sank in the mire. Actually, David speaks of the same kind of experience in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my soul. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. 
So perhaps what we're to imagine is falling into a well, sinking deep in sludge at the bottom, and just finding that ourselves sinking deeper and deeper every time we try to lift a foot to get out. And then all of a sudden, crashing wave of water appears from somewhere. Then we're plunged into darkness and a terrible sense of helplessness and desperation and apparent hopelessness. We can't even get a breath. John Piper likens it to our experiences. The breaking point for the overworked business person. The outer limits of exasperation for the parent of three constantly crying children. The impossible expectations of too many patients to treat in their hospital beds. Or too many books to mark and too many lessons for the teacher to prepare for the following day. The grinding stress of lingering illness. The imminent attack of powerful enemies. In some ways it's good to not know what the experience was that David is going through. It makes it easier, I think, for us to see ourselves in the pits with the king. Anything that causes us to feel that sense of helplessness and desperation and threatens to ruin life or even take life away, that is the king's pits. And it may also be our pits as well. David is in a pit. But secondly, David cries out. We hear the king's cry in verse 1, For I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. One of the reasons God loved David so much was because he cried so much. Psalm 6, verse 6 says, I am weary with my mourning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. Psalm 56, 8, Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Remember Jesus' words, blessed are those who mourn. It is actually a beautiful thing when a broken man cries out to God. I preached on this at 8 o'clock and at the end of it, a man from 8 o'clock came and wept on my shoulder. It is like a child who wanders too far out in the surf and starts to get taken by a riptide and cries out immediately, Daddy, Daddy! And a father jumps in and grabs and pulls out. God loves to answer our childlike cries and prayers. But notice it's vital that our cries to God are not just to people. Notice in verse 4, it says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Sometimes we are willing to say we need help. Actually, that's not true. Sometimes we're not even willing to tell other people we need help, are we? I've said it to you many times before. One of the the pains uh, in in church is when people tell me that they haven't been coming to church because they've been feeling so awful that they didn't want to be there because everybody else looked so happy and smiley and, and somehow they didn't feel they belonged. That's a tragedy. This should be the place where you really belong, where a load of people love you dearly and will stand with you and pray with you and love you to pieces. Now, I do understand. I've been through that feeling myself of just not wanting to see anybody, and I get that. I do get that. But here it's saying, it's not even the idea, though, of crying out to others. 
But it says here we're to cry out to the Lord. And some of us, if we're honest, will seek help in all sorts of places. But we go to the Lord as a kind of last resort. When everything else has kind of given up. Just think of a king, Asa, in 2 Chronicles. God punished him because he chose to rely on Syria, a human nation, instead of on his God. And at the end of his life, having not learnt the lesson, we're told this, that in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek help from the Lord, but sought help from the physicians. Now, doctors, before you come and grab me and say, what's all this about? Are you saying we shouldn't have doctors? I don't think that's what it's saying. What I think it's saying is this. It's not that doctors are bad. They are a gift from God. The medicine we have is is absolutely right, and you should go to the doctor every time. Please do not hear me saying anything other than that. But doctors are not gods. Is that right, Sal? You're not a god, are you? (laughs) And as much as we seek them, we must seek the Lord. We must seek the Lord. Share how things are with him. Plead with God and get others to plead with God for you. That's why the prayer chain is so vital in our church. That you know there is a telephone number you can ring up at any time and there will be people on the end of the phone willing to pray anonymously for you. I'm always amazed when I'm told how many people use our prayer chain. It is wonderful. And our prayer ministry, there will be people. Who's who's around praying after the service today? There must be somebody. Nobody. Great. Avril's going to be here. At the end of every service, we have people there to pray with you. Avril will be here. She'll be at the front of church. Come and talk to her. As it says in Psalm 118. Sorry, I every laugh every time I hear 118, don't you? I have a picture of a psalmist with 118 and a moustache. Anyway, forget that. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in man. Therefore, when you're in the pit, don't just cry out to anyone. Cry to the Lord. And then thirdly, David waits for the Lord. And then, and then there's a very important part of this pattern. Having cried out, you wait. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. More literally, it says, I waited intently for the Lord. That's the, the, uh, the word that's used. And it's so important. It guards us from that McDonald's approach to prayer. If you're going to McDonald's now in town, I'm sure you don't, but I sneak in there. I have to share a house with a vegetarian, so it's the only way I can get food, some meat sometimes. It's... And you walk in, and nowadays you've got this big touch screen, and you just bang it in on the touch screen, and hopefully by the time you get to the counter, your food is delivered. And if we're honest, our prayer can be like that, can't it? We bang in on the touch screen, God, I'd like this, this, this and this, all sorted out by this time. And we hope that by the time we get to the counter, it'll be there on a the plate. And we start getting a bit fidgety if it's not already come. And David also helps guard us from that unbelief that comes when God's help seems long in coming. We cannot demand deadlines from God. He responds as and when he sees fit. Waiting for the Lord is a vital part of the Christian life. And I think it's uh, perhaps two elements that it particularly God wants to grow in us through times of waiting. The first is humility. In Psalm 37.9, we're told that evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they will inherit the land. 
But then two verses later, the same promise is repeated, but this time it's the humble who will inherit the land. There is a link between waiting and humility. How good are you at waiting? What do you like in a queue? What do you like in a queue on the motorway? On those two lanes into one and a whole load of people fly past you, are you that person who moves out into the centre to stop them flying past you? Or are you the fly past person? Or just the person who sits there getting really, 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 really angry? I don't know. I'll let you guess which one I am. Maybe you're in the doctor's surgery. The doctor is clearly late. The patients are stacked up. Who gets shirty? Who goes to the receptionist and bends this receptionist's ear? It's generally not the humble and the meek. But those who are presumptuous about their rights. This is my time for my appointments, and I demand my appointment now. We get impatient as well with God, don't we? Because we think we have a right for God to answer our prayer. Yet waiting reminds us that we are to be humble. We can demand nothing of God. It is all of grace, all the time. But secondly, waiting can bring about in us hope. Psalm 39.7 says, Now, Lord, what do I look for or wait for? My hope is in you. Waiting is linked to hope. That is, uh, when we wait, it's not that we wait in that kind of... You know, that sort of like a kid does when you can't wait. You just know they're waiting. Or it's not just a kind of limp listlessness, like a flag being blown here, there and everywhere. But rather it has there a sense of a hungry animal straining for food, longing for food. That's why he says, I wait intently. It's almost got an intensity about it. Do you remember the psalm as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Waiting should teach us to to long for God to step in, not just to kind of give up and flop around. Or be like an impetulant child banging their feet on the ground. Those who wait are to be like David, straining for the future, not giving up on God. But like the persistent widow, keeps knocking, like the friend at midnight, saying, give me some food, I need some food, and just keeps knocking. In the end, the answer will come. But when will the answer come? When will God arrive? Well, the answer is at the right time. That is all we can know, and that is enough. And then fourthly, the Lord delivers David. When he comes, he lifts him out of the pit. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. No more mire and sinking, but rather rock-solid stability. Who knows what rescue meant for David? Perhaps it was healing from some disease, like in Psalm 30. Lord, my God, I called to you and you healed me. Or perhaps deliverance from an enemy, like in Psalm 69. Come near and rescue me, deliver me because of my foes. Or perhaps it's the guilt of sin that he's rescued from. Remember Psalm 51, wash me. Cleanse me from my sin. See, we don't know what it is, but our hope, our firm hope is that God can and will deliver. That is hard to still believe when you're waiting and the waiting goes on, but that is our hope. And I want to say also that uh, that deliverance doesn't always come in its fullness in this life. 
Some of you will know that Fran preached on heaven here two weeks ago. Poor woman had to preach on the Sunday with her news of her grandmother dying, who she was incredibly close to, coming to her on the Saturday. And then preaching on the Sunday. We had the funeral in Sussex this last week. And uh, we heard, it was great, because Fran's dad spoke about her her grandmother, because actually her grand had gone through awful times in life, truly awful times. And you always like funerals, sometimes those bits are kind of airbrushed out. And uh, it's just the sort of, the shiny happy bits. But it wasn't, it was... Because what was so incredible was this woman's faith in the midst of all of that. Now, there were times when God lifted her out of a pit, but it wasn't long before there was another pit that she fell into later on. But we all rejoiced. The joy in that service was because now she was with her Father in heaven, where there'll be no more illness, no more dying, no more death, no more tears. No longer would her teeth fall out every time she spoke to you, but now those teeth will be firmly rooted in her resurrection body. He will one day lift us finally out of the pits, never ever to fall back into it. And then David, uh, the Lord gives David a new song to sing, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our gods. John Piper says this, People who never sing, at least in their hearts, are people who do not cherish anything very deeply, or feel intense gratitude for anything. They're the sort of people who take all life for granted. They never soar with a sense of joy in their hearts. You see, when you've experienced God's extraordinary grace, it ought to set our hearts abuzz. Our mouth should be free that we begin to declare what amazing things God has done. I remember when I was very young, I can't remember what age I was, but I was very young, that I fell into water before I could swim in a swimming pool. I was under the water and I couldn't get up. I can picture it now, even in my mind's eye. And I just saw a load of legs around me, so I grabbed the first set of legs that I saw in absolute panic. The person took hold of me, lifted me up out of the water. I took the biggest gulp of air you've ever heard, and then I let out a scream. I looked, and it was my dad who had grabbed me. I'd, grabbed, I'd obviously picked the right legs. I had no, no idea. But that sense of, of being pulled out and that, that breath of fresh air, I can breathe again. It's okay. On that day, I screamed. But here it pictures a, a great cry of song, of thanksgiving to God. You know, it is not the worship to job of a worship team to create a sense of joy by choosing the right songs for us on a Sunday. It is not the worship team's job in the way they play songs and lead worship to give us a deep sense of God's presence and joy, as if somehow it's their job to make us feel something. That is the wrong way round. No, it is our job to come to worship with things to give great thanks for. And these guys just put some backing music and give us some words that we can use to express that which is already there. And of course, sometimes we come without a song because we're still in the pit. And sometimes other people singing kind of just keeps us going, doesn't it? So if you're in the pit now, it's okay not to feel like singing. But the rest of us will sing to remind you of the great truths that we know to be true even when you don't feel like it.
But there will come a day when you can give voice to those songs as well and you can join in. Don't stay away until you're ready to sing the songs. Because you may need to hear the words of the songs to keep you going in the pits. But sometimes the songs come and, and maybe you need to ask God to give you that song. To give voice to what it is God has done for you. Which brings me to my last point. That others see and are saved. Look at verse 3, the last bit. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Is this extraordinary? Who knows how many people might see and hear and put their trust in the Lord because of what I've been through, those tough times, and have come out to be able to tell the story and I'm able to tell others what Jesus has done for me. Isn't it amazing that whenever God delivered us from the pits, he puts a new song in our mouth with his aim, not just to just our benefit, but to benefit other people through us. See, that's why it matters that we share in our services. We didn't do it today because it's communion. We're short for time. What's God been doing? It's a scary moment to say, anyone want to come and share what God's been doing? Because you think, maybe God's been doing nothing. I know he has. We're not always very good at seeing it. And some of us are quite reluctant to come and tell it from the front. But we need those moments, don't we? We need those moments. And, you know, evangelistically, let me tell you this. You cannot argue many people into the kingdom of God. I have now done uh, Alpha, Christianity Explored, Life Explored, Uncover for 14 years in this church. I don't think in all that time I've argued one person into the kingdom, not one. I think I'm quite good at arguing. I think I've got great answers to all those questions. But the really humbling thing is I don't think one person has become a Christian because I've argued them in. It has always been something else. And actually, it's been lovely on the, on, the, on the last course to hear people, and I can think of one or two here, just sharing, actually, this is what Jesus has done for me. And you know, on Facebook, Facebook is my source of all things. This quote came up just last night. Few believers can win arguments about the faith, but every believer can finish the sentence, only Jesus got me through, dot, 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 whatever it is. We can all say that. And actually, that is what is said here, is actually that's the evangelistic power. It's not having all the right answers, but be able to say, in my experience, Jesus got me through, and this is what he got me through, and this is how he got me through it. How amazing. How will we win others for Christ? Well, when we're in a hole, and we cry out to the Lord like a helpless child, and we wait patiently with humility and hope, and in his own time, he will come and make us secure. And when he does, we don't keep quiet about it. We sing and shout of God's grace towards us so that other people hear it. Amen.